Rose, are you there? Yeah. All right. I got my grandma on the line. Barbara Krinsky. <laughs> Hi, Rose. Hey, Miss Krinsky. How are you? Okay, I'm fine. I wanted to ask you, Erin uh, told me you're really excited about this upcoming election. Well, I hope I'll be excited when my people win. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, who are you excited about on the ballot for January 5th? Well, I'm uh, Warnock and Ossoff. I've been a Republican up until the last election, not this election, but the one before that, when Hillary ran against Trump. I, I became a Republican when Reagan became a Republican, and I voted Republican all these years until the Hillary-Trump election. To me, there's no more Republican Party. They've ruined it. And... Um, Nobody is standing up and saying, you can't do this. Mr. President, you can't do this. Mr. President, you're wrong. I mean, outside of a few people, I mean, they're all, they're all sitting there afraid. Why are they afraid? I mean, and I don't know what I was going to ask you. Why are you doing this? <laughs> I'm doing like a series of interviews uh, of women politicians, policy folks, uh, attorneys, writers, kind of getting a sense of different women in Georgia who are engaged on both sides. And I really just wanted to capture your story because Aaron told me about your switch. And I just thought that was really fascinating. Did she tell you that I'm 90 years old? <laughs> I didn't know you were 90. Yes. So at 90... I'm 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 still alive with with ideas and uh, what I want for this country. I want democracy back. I want uh, peace back. I want I just want our country back. I think it's going to be pretty close. Do you think of yourself as a political person? No. No, not at all. I think, let me just say, this year, probably, yes. I think many people were very involved in, in the elections for president and and uh, these elections coming up for senators and so forth. I think more people were involved this year than in many, many years before. It was very important. It was important to you? Yes. Well, I saw uh, a positive little news piece that 75,000 additional people have registered to vote after the election. So I like to think of that as an encouraging sign. That, that 75,000, what do you mean? Georgians registered since the November election to vote can be eligible oh. to vote in this runoff. Okay. And, you know, this election was decided, what, 12,000 votes? So, I mean, that's a big, that's a big number. Aaron says you've been telling your friends about the January 5th elections. Are a lot of your friends, do they know about the runoffs? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think um, I think most of them are, are voting Democratic. Um, there might be one or two that are voting Republican. In fact, I have one. It's interesting. I have one very close friend who's a Republican and... Um, I forgot that she was a Republican and I started to sound off about 
a presidential election when it was going on. And then we, I just, there was silence at the other end. And I said, oh, my God. I said, I am so sorry. I said, I will not do this again. And you and I will remain friends, but we will not talk politics. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how that ended. I think a lot of people stop being friends or kind to their family because they can't find a place to agree. So... I find it interesting that you changed your mind, but you're also open to other people's opinions, it sounds like. Well, I, I think I I got down to my innermost feelings about this election. And, and I don't know if I'll... Look, I hope I, I live to another election, but if I am and live to another election, um, I don't know if I'll be so pumped up. Welcome to The Women. I'm your host, Rose Reed. The Georgia Senate runoff elections, happening literally over the next 24 hours, have gotten a lot of unusual characters highly energized, like my friend's 90-year-old Nana. The incumbent Georgia senators, Republicans Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue, are running against new progressives on the scene, John Ossoff and Reverend Raphael Warnock. As we heard Barbara Krinsky say, Raphael Warnock has gotten many atypical and apolitical folks excited to get out the vote. Reverend Warnock is the pastor at Ebenezer Church, the same church where Martin Luther King Jr. preached, located in the historic district of the Old Fourth Ward. Martin Luther King Jr. was born just blocks away from the church in one of the single-family homes that makes up this residential neighborhood in the eastern part of downtown Atlanta. It's still a predominantly African-American neighborhood, but the Old Fourth Ward has seen its share of booming Black businesses, uprisings, and gentrification over the past century. Park Cannon is the representative of the Old Fourth Ward in the Georgia State Legislature. My name is Park Cannon. I'm proud to be out and living in the Old Fourth Ward with my family here in Atlanta, Georgia, where we saw our electoral results turn our state blue. Park was just 24 years old in 2016 when she was elected as the youngest representative sent to the Georgia State Legislature. Now she's the secretary of the Georgia House Democrats, and she's also a healthcare worker. She's a dancer. She's a doula. And she's working hard to get out the vote. It's only been less than a month since I realized all of the work that we have been doing as voting rights experts and activists is finally paying off as our electoral returns reflect the people's will. As the first openly queer state representative in the United States, Park is determined to push the envelope on civil rights and champion legislation to reflect and protect that Black Lives Matter. A lot of people met you at the Democratic National Convention. Um, There's this incredible image of you with your two-tone glasses, blue dress in front of a blue background, wearing pearls, proudly state that you were the youngest member elected to the state representative of Georgia. We need to trust black women. Our American 
America is unapologetically ready to stand together. Can you describe what that moment meant to you? I was blessed to stand on a diverse stage that day in 2016. It certainly feels like every day I am working to live up to that 30-second speech that I gave at the Democratic National Convention. And in the political realm, especially as a Southerner, standing up and saying, I am openly queer, felt like we were on some new territory. You're living in a historic community in downtown Atlanta. Um, Actually, I grew up not far from where you grew up, so I can visualize the the houses and the skyline and um, the wide boulevard near you. Um, can you describe what your district uh, is, District 58? District 58 is one of those cracked and packed districts from gerrymandering. The district looks like a capital L backwards that snakes through the city of Atlanta covering over 25 neighborhoods. I serve as a state representative half of the year in which I am able to bring constituents from Midtown, Downtown, and Southwest Atlanta together to explore policy issues. But the rest of the year, I serve as a labor doula. And I work with new families as they bring life into the world. District 58 is a reproductive justice district, we call it. Reproductive justice has four pillars, the right to have children, the right to not have children, the right to parent in safe and sustainable communities, and the right to bodily autonomy. Families in Georgia have seen maternal mortality up close. It's not just a buzzword for us. It is names and dates of women passing away because of unsafe or irresponsible healthcare practices. We are seeking better outcomes in birth and better outcomes in voting. And what has this last year, 2020, looked like for you and your constituents? Rainbow crosswalk engagements, mail regarding COVID-19 resources, website updates, care packages, stakeholder tables, virtual events, phone banks, robocalls, surveys, polls, testimonies, and voting. We have created our own constituent service hotline and That hotline has given us an eye into some of the darkest places in Georgia's history. Can you elaborate on that? When you hear 75 individuals a day calling, emailing about their unemployment insurance and the Department of Labor's doors remain closed, phone lines remain cut, emails bounce, it shows you just how critical it is to have people of all backgrounds in positions of power. The Georgia Legislative Black Caucus members, we said collectively, we represent Black and Brown Georgia, and we have heard that they are suffering. It's really chilling. On top of that, 
I had to go to the press and say to the public, right now, we cannot trust our top officials on COVID-19 data. They are not publishing the accurate numbers. Some of these conversations were very emotional. So our team had to be really, uh, really intentional with if we were playing the role of triage, social worker, elected official, friend, resource maker, email sender, and it has changed the way that our office will operate in the future. I think the entire country is learning. Georgia may not necessarily have always been a red state. It may be a suppressed state. We have a, this unique position of two Senate seats at the same time up for a runoff, one from a runoff that was too close and the other from a special election. And these two seats will determine the balance of power in our country and therefore really the trajectory of millions of lives, not only in the states, but abroad. What, what do these runoffs mean to you personally? My first election in 2015 resulted in a runoff. So runoff elections for me bring back the number 23. I received 47.9% of the vote, but not 50.1. And the spread between 47.9 and 50.1 was 23 votes because turnout was so low. Because the election was in January and we didn't know the election was going to happen until December. So we had about five weeks to put together our campaign. So that comes to mind from the top. And it reminds me that Georgia is still learning how to vote in every election. If you know someone who is transgender or gender nonconforming. Georgia voter identification laws pose a barrier to those individuals because you have to have your body physically changed via surgery in order to change your gender marker on your identification to vote. When we're sharing that information in 2015 at the doors and following it up with saying, and I'm queer, This is important not for you to think about my personal life, but for you to think about what policies need to be addressed so that we can all live in an equitable way. We also see many Georgians experiencing voter fatigue and healing from voter trauma. If you requested your absentee ballot for a regular election, it would go through the Secretary of State's process. It would bump down to the county that you're elected in, and they would send you your ballot. But if you're in a runoff election, Georgia laws haven't yet provided for the best version of coordination between the Secretary of State and their vendors, the county that you're registered in and their vendors, the voting rights organizations and their vendors. So voters, unfortunately, are healing their own trauma in real time because the stakes are so high. These U.S. Senate races bring up a lot of personal truths for Georgia voters. I, for one, as a Georgia voter, look forward to voting in this election because I can vote for my friend, John Ossoff, 
who has stood with me during the darkest times of the abortion ban and his wife who came to me and said, we as OBGYNs will not leave the state. We will be here to fight and to work on maternal health outcomes, don't you worry, as well as an opportunity Mm -hmm. to vote for my personal pastor. Raphael Warnock has been the personal pastor to my grandmother and grandfather, my mother and my brother, as well as myself for the entire time that I have been elected. You know, you have said that there is not one Georgia, but you also grew up in Albany, Georgia, witnessing the South's deep commitment to oppression. You know, Albany is an interesting place because it exemplifies the tension um, that we've seen through the 20th century and that we see replaying over and over from the heart of a very vibrant civil rights movement and also the heart of the Klan flexing and not realizing that modernity and integration can actually improve their lives and innovate their lives as well. One of the things that you've shared um, publicly is an early experience um, seeing the Klan as a young person go through your town. I was wondering if you could um, recount that story. Because there were so many positive memories growing up in a small town like Leesburg, But what stands out are memories like the day when I got off of the school bus and started rounding the street corner to descend our long and winding hill to our house and starting to hear a clamoring that sounded like a truck backfiring a little bit, but still driving Mm -hmm. and shuffling in the bed of the truck, people kind of moving their feet around or repositioning. And then the stark visual of that white robe. And as I kind of turned around to go as fast as I could, seeing the Confederate flag whiz past me, dangling off the back of the truck. I'm so blessed that my family is full of freedom fighters. My father fought in Vietnam as a master sergeant in the war. My grandparents were parts of labor unions and cancer hospitals. My mom fought through segregation growing up in Camilla, Georgia, going into her high school through the back door in Mitchell County. In 2009, when my dad passed away and we went back to our childhood home where he was living, the Klan had resurfaced at our house. They this time left Mm. beer bottles, their footprints and shattered glass on our family photos and wall tags that said F in words, KKK was here. It feels like We haven't moved from where we were in the 90s in Georgia on this issue of white supremacist leadership and violence and what it looks like. Because when we do speak up on this issue, there are so many 
believers in white supremacy that they dominate. Little girls across Georgia can hear the dog whistles. Little boys feel the impending knee on their neck and families are grappling with, oh my gosh, what have we done to improve these circumstances because we're seeing a cycle repeat? My hometown is the place where Dr. King's failed movement happened, where the police chief, the governor, the Klan intentionally labeled his final campaign, the Poor People's Campaign, as the failed movement. We see ads right now coming out of South Georgia of sheriffs conflating activist language like defund the police with real atrocities and murders like Ahmaud Arbery and trying to manipulate Georgians so that they don't face backlash from these sheriffs and elected officials for standing for what's right, finally. So as a member of the nation's largest Black caucus and as a girl raised in the South, I am very clear that the key milestones covered in the 2020 elections will be scrutinized for years to come because we are at the beginning of a shift. I really am concerned that the silencing of voices in rural Georgia will not just be on these TV ads and in these social media groups, but will knock on people's doors, will bust into people's windows, will change families' ability to bounce back from violence. When I see the commitment that you've made to your community, to women, to to being so open about who you are and self-love, you've really lived this fight of equity in a very personal way as an elected official. What is that like for you when you're in the state legislature and you see in real time how these policies get played out in front of you? Yes, I am so proud to be an activist elected official for these reasons. Between June and July of 2020, there were uprisings that occurred in the streets of Atlanta because of issues with policing, as it is in the state of Georgia. And it was really imperative to have a credible messenger working the inside-outside game. I will never forget the first time I heard about the shooting at Wendy's that ended Rayshard Brooks' life. It had been a long day. It was about 1 a.m. And I finally made myself some quesadillas in the kitchen. I saw my phone ring and picked up for a city council person and said, hey, is everything okay? And he said, no, I just heard about a shooting at the Wendy's in my district. I'm about to go there. And I said to him, you got this. You know, I'm so sorry to hear that. Let me know 
if I can support you tomorrow. And that next day I found out that that Wendy's was in fact in District 58 on the district line where I represent. And to this day, I still speak with Rayshard's family weekly or monthly. And some of the concerns with the uprisings that were taking place over the summer at CNN, at Wendy's, that was really an opportunity for Black leadership and state leadership to continue forward on a good path. In the beginning of June, we had just passed the hate crime bill. Ahmaud Arbery's case was so heinous that even them as a rural Republican, they understood why we needed this bill, right? But one week later, two weeks later, these same power players vanished. Impossible to get them for strategy sessions, phone calls, in-person support. And for communities like ours, like for Pittsburgh, Sylvan Hills, Peoplestown, Adair Park, the list goes on and on. We weren't expecting someone to come and save us, but we were open to everyone leveraging their power. Lawmakers could have made the difference in negotiating with Wendy's corporate about what happens in the state of Georgia when hate shows up and billion dollar industries. How do they show their values? To this day, the Wendy's location where Rayshard Brooks' life was ended is fenced in, demolished, and vacant. His sister, his wife, and his kids, the two things they want, one is a peace center where the community can engage in peaceful activities as well as learn about community improvement. And the second is some movement on gun violence. Because what brings many families together about officer-involved shootings isn't always about the power dynamic there between the police and the individual or the victim. But it's about the reflection of gun violence that we have seen mimicked by our youth on our streets because they are chasing the power that seems to come with using a gun. So we created an organization called The People's Uprising, and our goal is to take the focus off of our reaction or our mobilization and to put it back on the systemic oppressions that need to be dismantled. This is a lightning round on the women. We call it truth or truth. And I have a couple of quick fire light questions for you. 
What has been the one song during 2020 that has really made you smile? What are you humming to this year? Oh, the song of the year is My Vote Don't Count by Yellow Pain. He has yellow hair and he goes in on why black and brown communities have felt like my vote don't count and what we're doing to ensure that people know that their vote counts. What do you say to people to say your vote counts? Voting is a practice. If you don't practice it, you can't preach it. I practice my vote, so I know that it counts, and I want others to practice theirs too. It's so incredible. It's so amazing to see um, to see you in it. And the Old Fourth Ward where Martin Luther King Jr. preached, where Reverend Warnock is running, and in the district that started John Lewis on his long, long career working for civil rights. It's just amazing to, to see you in it. Thank you. The women are doing it. First thing first, you know, back in middle school when they taught us, it was three branches of the government. We forgot it when we got older. It's the judicial, the legislative and executive. But all we know is the executive. That's the mayor or the governor and the president. Now, none of them three people make no laws. They just be checking them. The laws come to their desk and all they do is say no or yes to it. So when the news station tried to tell us that Barack Obama couldn't put us on, we was all Saudi at Obama when it was the Congress members all along. We got to focus on... This has been an incredible mini season on the women. And I want to thank all of the women that I've interviewed and for the listener support. The Women is a production by me, your host, Rose Reed. This episode was mixed by Adrian Lilly. Thanks to our team, Gail Reed and Nora Kipnis. Artwork is by Harley Bosco. The song My Vote Don't Count is by Yellow Pain. Special thanks to all of the interviews we did this season, and especially to our friends of the show, Ashley Fielding, Clara Green, Lori Geary, Barbara and Aaron Krinsky, and Wendy Zuckerman. You can find the show on Instagram at The Women Pod. If you enjoyed the show or this episode, leave a review or share with a friend. It really helps new listeners find us. We're going to take a break and come back with fresh interviews soon. So check back for updates. And we're wishing you a healthy, happy, and hopefully easier new year in 2021. Every time you stay home, someone is making a decision about you. Making decisions about the air you breathe, the water you drink, the food your kids eat, and how much money you bring home every two weeks. So every time you sit out an election, every time you don't show up because you think it doesn't matter, someone else is happy that you didn't show up so they can make that decision for you. Vote.